Welcome to the Perfectly Flawed podcast. On this podcast, I am your host, Renee Fox, and I chat to various people who are willing to be open and vulnerable about their own experiences with mental health and sport. Please keep in mind that the things discussed on this podcast are people's own experiences and is not medical advice. If anything in these episodes is triggering for you or you feel like you need assistance, please contact a health professional or Lifeline on 13 11 14. Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of the Perfectly Flawed Podcast. If you're new here, welcome, and I hope you enjoy. In this episode, I am joined by Brendan Hall. Brendan is a four-time Paralympic swimmer and three-time Paralympic gold medalist. Brendan and I chatted about his start in swimming and how he lost his leg and some of his hearing. He talked about how swimming was a place for him where he felt like it was an even playing field and his disability didn't hold him back. He He reiterates throughout the chat that the only limitations are the ones you put on yourself. Brendan delves into his experience across each Olympic Games and how his results in Tokyo left him feeling like he had failed. There are some great lessons in this, in how we can take out the positives in a situation where we feel like crap. Brendan still has a passion for swimming, which is evident in the way he talks, and Paris 2024 is definitely on the cards. At a blast getting to know Brendan, and his sense of humour definitely comes across in our chat too. I hope you enjoy listening. Welcome to the Perfectly Flawed podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. For those that don't know you, would you like to give a bit of an overview of who you are? Uh, hey, everyone. Um, obviously, I'm Brendan Hall. I'm a three-time gold medalist Paralympic swimmer, uh, four-time Australian representative for the Paralympics and a few world championship titles. And um, yeah, that's where I'm at. Yeah, awesome. How did you fall into swimming? Oh, how did I fall? Not so much fall into swimming. I think I was kind of just thrown into the pool um, <laughs> when I was very young uh, by mum and dad. They uh, they loved going to the beach, I think, and they loved spending time in the water. So I think the whole idea of me getting into swimming was me just being water safe, um, as you want to do, making sure that I can hold my own when we, when we did go to the beach. And I think from there, I just sort of started to develop a little bit of love and enjoyment and worked my way through the uh, learn to swim squads, whichever they were back then, like starfish, jellyfish to dolphin and shark or whatever. I can't remember now. It's a while ago. And yeah, I didn't really, I didn't really see myself swimming in the future. You know, really everyone's got dreams and aspirations and I was sort of stuck with it. And it's something that I've always loved. Yeah. Awesome. What do you think people always sort of talk about this pool in terms of they're just like pulled or drawn to swimming what is that for you that's a good one I think for me I'm not really essentially like pulled or like drawn to swimming for me it was more the fact that I enjoyed swimming before I lost my leg so I lost my leg at a really young age to chicken pox and most of my hearing as well and from that point on when I woke up in hospital I one of the like one of the main things that I wanted to do was just sort of get back in the water. I just wanted I don't know I don't know why I couldn't honestly couldn't tell you why, but I just distinctively remember there was a few things that I wanted when I woke up in hospital and getting back in the water was one of them. Not necessarily to swim as such, just to sort of be in contact with the water itself. And 
I think that was just, that was kind of like my, I guess, being drawn to it. And then later that year, it was the same year I came out of hospital in 2000. It was because I think I was in the water and I sort of started learning to swim again. For, I'd start from scratch because I lost my leg. It sort of opened my eyes a little bit as to um, what these sort of can and can't, like your capabilities are as a person. And then I was exposed to the Paralympics after Sydney, after the Sydney Olympics in 2000. And it all of a sudden, you, as a, you know, a young kid with a missing leg who all of a sudden thinks that there's nothing out in the world for him to do because, you know, you will immediately think yourself as inadequate and you don't have the ability to do things in life. But you then all of a sudden see people exactly like you representing, you know, your country and countries around the world and winning medals. And you all of a sudden have this realisation that, oh, you know, there is something out there for me. Like I can, I can have dreams and aspirations and nothing can really hold me back from that. And so from that point on, I don't think I ever really like looked back on what happened to me or my disability and I sort of didn't let it stop me and I just all of a sudden I was like I you know I had this dream and I thought I'd try and chase that dream I guess and that's kind of how it went from there. Yeah which is pretty cool that now there is so much exposure to people of all different backgrounds and cultures and different capabilities and people that are able-bodied and not able-bodied to be able to see them on tv for people that are growing up to look up to I think that's really cool yeah I think um I've been in Paralympic sports since 2007 now I, I had my first games in 2008 when I was 15 years old and just the exposure and like you look at it on a graph over time and what people can be exposed to and the attitudes that it can change along the way for you know not just people with disabilities but like different religions, cultures, um, ethnicities, all that sort of stuff, it really has an impact on letting people know that there is things you don't, like there are things out there in life that you can do and like nothing can really hold you back and there are no barriers to what you can achieve. It's just as long as you, you know, have a crack at it, that's all that really matters. So, yeah, I think it's been really great over the last few years to sort of see that sort of impact all of a sudden that, you know, it's sort of slowly becoming more mainstream. We're not like at that equal point yet, but it's exciting to see how it'll turn out in the future because it is just getting bigger and bigger as we go along. Yeah, absolutely. What do you think for you was, do you think sport was like a safe place for you? I mean, you sort of touched on initially that you wanted after your surgery, waking up that, you wanted to go back into swimming. That's something that you distinctively remember. Do you think that sport was, and swimming in a sense, a safe place for you where you felt like everybody else? Yeah, you pretty much nailed that point on the head there. For me, like early on, once I definitely got back into it, to consider myself like normal. uh, So like now I consider myself normal. No, there's no question about it. Um, I'm I'm, you know, I'm a proud Paralympian and I'm missing my leg. I'm missing a fair bit of my hearing, but that's who I am as a person. And I fully accept that. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't change anything about it. But when I, that first period, probably a year after I lost my leg, just sort of 
see myself on an equal playing field as um, my mates. So it was really hard to kind of just sit and watch them all, you know, play footy and tackle each other and have fun and run around without really injuring themselves. And I sort of was a little bit envious of all that and kind of uh, felt a bit down because, you know, I couldn't contribute. I couldn't have that sort of fun. And I didn't want to get into that scenario if I did have fun with them I didn't want to injure anyone with my prosthetic so being in the water for me was uh like an escape and it kind of it took away all of the limitations that being on land imposes on you so once we were in the water it was like it's free for all we're all the same here you've got to work out how to get from one end of the pool to the other and you know Unfortunately, not not everyone's the strongest of swimmer when you're in primary school or early on in high school. So to know all of a sudden that um, I was able to, you know, you know, I think for lack of a better word, you know, beat my classmates in a 25 metre swim. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm normal. This is like normal for me. I There's nothing holding me back where it's an even playing field. And it's, that's, I think what, early on really helped me to sort of overcome the fact that like nothing is really impossible just that if you actually have the correct mindset you can kind of just go about and do whatever you want to do because there are like there are no limitations to whatever you there are only the limitations that you put on yourself and at the end of the day only you're responsible for what's what you're holding yourself back from so I was really grateful that sport kind of um brought that enjoyment back to my life and actually made me realize that you know having a disability isn't a bad thing it's actually a good thing because you find out who you are as a person and you overcome challenges a a hell of a lot easier and um, so I was very grateful for the fact that my parents allowed me to continue swimming at that age because I there's, there's no way in hell I'd sort of be where I am today if I hadn't continued swimming. Yeah, it's amazing how powerful sport can be. And obviously, you know, you had that sort of, you know, you lost your leg and your hearing. That wasn't something you were born with. That sort of happened early on in your childhood. How did you then learn to accept yourself again? Because obviously there has to be that sort of transition going from where you were before to where you are now. How was that transition for you? How long did that take? How did you sort of learn to accept that this is who you are now? Yeah, look, I wouldn't say it was instantaneous, that's for sure. So obviously, really briefly, it was pretty much Christmas of the year 1999, caught chicken pox, unfortunately, which caused a, um, a DVT, uh, D-vein thrombosis or blood clot in basic terminology in my lower right limb. And it was in one of the main veins that goes straight back to your heart. In order to fix that, they usually put uh, blood thinners in and hopefully it sort of does the job, clears it all out and you're sort of good to go. But uh, whatever they were doing, it wasn't working and it was actually making my condition worse. And in the process of trying to clear the clot, they um, lost me for about 27 and a half minutes. So eventually they got me back and they gave my parents a tough decision. It was like, look, we can keep trying to clear the clot and possibly risk his life again. We might not be able to get him back or we can just amputate it and be done with it. And thankfully, um, you know, it was a tough decision. It was, I think mom and dad made the right decision back then. Otherwise 
I definitely would not be here at all today. And I was in hospital. I was like, no, nah, it's fine. When I woke up, I was like, it's going to grow back. We're going to be sweet. We're going to be all good. Don't worry. It's going to grow back. And uh, sometimes when I was literally at the point for a few months uh, early on, probably that first month in hospital after I lost it, I was like, nah, it's only going to grow back if dad stays with me each night. I know if dad stays with me tonight, it's going to grow back a little bit more. I think it took them at least a week and a half to finally convince me that, look, mate, we've had to take your leg away. It's not coming back. <laughs> I feel like that's, that's, that's a really difficult thing to explain to a six-year-old. But the good thing is being a six-year-old, you kind of like, okay, you, my leg's not coming back. You cry about it for one night. And then the next morning you wake up not caring about it and like, all right, who's bringing me some ice cream? And, but once I got like moving around and everything, um, I was a lot happier because I liked being outdoors and moving around as a kid. But then, you know, for that first year, when I eventually got out of hospital a couple months later and sort of went back to school and went back to school in a wheelchair to start with, it was like tough because I was in a wheelchair. I had classes upstairs and I'm like, I, I just sort of was felt inadequate as a, as a kid because I wasn't running around like all my mates were, you know, I couldn't, you know, go up in the playground and go down the slide backwards because that was a cool thing to do. So I think that first year, it was just a, a lot of trial and error. And the more I had the error, the more difficult it kind of become to bounce out of it and get back to it. And that's why I, I was lucky I got was able to get back into swimming because then the error no really mad, no longer really mattered to me. I sort of thrived on the error because I knew if I, I could do it in the pool, well, I can do it on land. And that mindset kind of took over that, okay, there's no point, you know, having a whinge about it, crying about it. So, you know, mum and dad were always like, just get up and try again. They sort of never said stop or anything, um, which I'm really thankful for. It, they just sort of kept, they'd laugh and be like, okay, well, well, okay, he's really hurt now. We'll help him up and get him going. But it was more of a fact that they just didn't want to see me stop trying they figured i think they figured that the more i challenged myself and the more i overcame those challenges the the more likely i'm not really going to think of myself with a disability to sort of and then just sort of get on with life and i think it kind of worked i might have had a few injuries along the way and i, I might have broken a few legs in the process but um i was let's say mom and i weren't too happy about the the leg breaking but um yeah, I think I was really grateful for the fact that they did let me do that trial and error because it got me back to feeling normal like a regular kid and wanting to, you know, get out and have fun as much as I could. Otherwise, I think if they sort of stopped and sheltered me, yeah, I, I don't think that would have helped me at all. Yeah, and we sort of touched on earlier too about how there's so much diversity out there now that we can see. Was there someone for you that you looked up to and was like, I want to be like that? Um, good question. Obviously, um, Paralympics weren't as mainstream early on back then as they were as they are now. So, you know, you know, if you turn around and ask a kid today, like, oh, you know, in a wheelchair or any um, upcoming power sport, they're like, oh, they're probably, you know, 
could rattle off Dylan Alcott's name off the top of their tongue really easily because that, that that's what we've been striving for, you know, that extra equality. For me, um, it was the fact that I saw in Sydney 2000, um, it was Australian flag borough Brendan Burkett. And he lives, he lives and he lived and still does live, you know, on the Sunshine Coast. And so I was exposed to him in 2000 and I saw him win a medal for Australia with one leg, pretty much exactly the same like disability as me. And from that point on, I was like, oh, so, you know, he, he, this guy's got one leg. He's represented Australia at multiple games. He's won a few medals. He's been the flag bearer. Oh, that's that's what that's me. That's what I want to do when I grow up. And so, like from early on, I probably to him, I was like, okay, he was. I looked up to him, and then also, but just seeing someone like Ian Thorpe and Grant Huckett do what they did early on, I was like, okay, swimming. Let's give it a crack. And I, I, I think that's why I became a distance swimmer purely because I loved what those sort of guys did. And I think that's what kind of helped me as a youngster. And I was, I just wanted to sort of be like my heroes, I guess, in a way. And because I saw Brendan Burkett, you know, win a medal for Australia, that's kind of sort of what kick-started and ignited my dream, really. And um, I was grateful for that because I, I think if I hadn't seen something like that, yeah, it would have definitely impacted where I sort of ended up in sport or in life. So I think the more we expose that diversity, the greater impact it's going to have on all those minorities out there. And for myself, that's one thing that I'm grateful for. Yeah. And it's so cool that you were able to see someone like that on TV and say, you know, that's so cool. He can do that. So can I, how does it make you feel now to know that you're that person for somebody else? It's weird. (laughs) It's so weird. It's, you know, uh, um, it happened like early on too. It was just after Beijing and one of the guys who I ended up being on the team with in 2016, he he made the Rio team with us. And, you know, he saw me from an early age and in, compete in London. And he was like, okay, I'm going to try and catch this guy and catch up with him and I want to race him and stuff. And so like we met early, like 2009 or whatever. And it's yet to know that like, oh yeah, you had an impact on me as a kid, like four or five, six years ago. And it's like, really why I ran. Even some of the guys, young guys on the team this year, they were like, oh yeah, you know, you were one of my idols. Like, I'm like, what do you mean? Was one of your idols? Like, surely I still am. <laughs> and hopefully, but um, no, it's, it's, um, it's, it's just this weird feeling. Cause you know, I don't really think of myself as being an idol or I don't set out to be, um, a mentor or role model so when someone does come up to you and goes oh yeah uh, I don't I, I didn't know how to tell you this but you know you really you know you played a role in like helping me go on and achieve my dream and I'm like okay yeah cool thank you <laughs> I don't know how to respond <laughs> to that I might have played a little role but at the end of the day you know you made the choices you did the work you got here um, so it, it's kind of cool to all of a sudden know that you're you know sparking that little bit of inspiration for kids that are coming through these days um it's something that I think I'm always going to find really weird because obviously that's not the reason why I got into swimming or why I did swimming I 
and so that's another thing that like I'm, I'm purely in swimming and the sport for like my love of it and my enjoyment of being in the water and so all of a sudden so like that's the main bit of cake for me and I'm like okay if, if I've managed to you know ignite that passion for someone else well then it's kind of like oh we'll just sprinkle the the ice put the icing on and a couple hundred thousands on top it that's kind of like it's a nice sentiment and it's it's really good to know and as long as I know that I'm grateful for the fact that I can kind of have that ability to ignite those fires because everyone should have the chance to have a dream and inspire like aspire to be something or someone because it's kind of like you want to have the dream and if you have the dream then you know you have something to follow and um yeah it's just it's scary at the same time because now I've got you know a lot of guys just following me and chomping at my heels and I'm like we're gonna we're gonna come and get you we're gonna take your place and I'm like oh that's a bit scary now you know I'm I mean, I'm getting towards the end of my career so um just just hold off a little bit longer for me please guys so uh yeah it's it's a weird feeling I will admit that yeah and you said that your first Olympics was Beijing when you were 15 what was that experience like for you I can sum it up in one word, which was the only word that was in my vocabulary back then. Awesome. Absolutely <laughs> awesome. If you go back and watch my post-race interview and my from my one swim in Beijing, yeah, I really loved that word, awesome. It was so bad. No, uh, you, the best way I could describe it was, um, you know, you're, you're a kid at a thing. You literally go into that environment and I was 15 and you are literally a kid at a theme park and a candy store rolled into one and you're just you just don't know what to do next you don't know when to stop or which ride to pick am I gonna have chocolate am I gonna have ice cream do I get a cook I it's just it's a lot to process for a 15 year old and yeah you honestly just feel like you're on this ultimate high for the whole two weeks you're there and it's really hard to sort of come down but you know, sometimes I managed to, I only had the one swim and, um, you know, I absolutely blessed it back then. I didn't medal or anything, but I swam a PB. I swam a PB in the heat, PB'd in the final. Um, I qualified first fastest for the final in Paralympic record time. So I well and truly exceeded my expectations in 2008. It w- would have been lovely to come away with a medal, but, you know, when you're the youngest in the field by about six years, you you kind of think, you know, unfortunately, um age and wisdom probably strength as well is gonna overpower a young 15 year old so um I was really grateful for that experience because it taught me a lot and you know learning how to control your emotions is one of the important thing as a competitor to sort of know and it was just an awe-inspiring eye-opening moment and um it's one game that I'll never forget because yeah it, it everything was just whoa for me and that's the best way I can explain it yeah I think that's a really good way of describing it and the next thing that I was going to ask which you've kind of touched on already is what sort of things did you take away from that experience that you've been able to apply in London Rio and then even Tokyo yeah uh, so I think I definitely was able to apply it in London and uh, Rio it's just that when you so when you want to like 
compete at that level and that intensity, you have to know when to turn it on and when to turn it off. So you know how to spark just the right amount of excitement at the right time in order to get the best out of it and perform the absolute best. And so I was able to do that in London. Um, oh, first up, we had the relay, the 4x100 freestyle relay, and I was really lucky to be able to swim in the heat team. Um, I'm obviously not a sprinter by any means. Um, I'm a distance swimmer all the way, like 400 and above. Um, so, you know, to be able to swim the 100 freestyle in London was fantastic. And to swim the relay was even better because obviously swimming is individual, but team-based in a way where like you have all that support staff around you and your coach. So when you're up there, it's not just yourself. But then when you get to swim as a relay team, you all of a sudden have this greater sense of passion and camaraderie with all your teammates because you want to be able to achieve well with them. So it was really grateful to be able to be part of that relay team and win the gold medal on the first night in the 4x100 freestyle relay. And that kind of like, okay, massive high on that first night. And then I had to wait three days before my main event. So like it was on and then you had to turn off focus and worry about the next few swims. And then I had to really turn it on again um for my 400 freestyle which i was really lucky to do and came away with a world record on a gold medal my first individual gold medal and um it's a moment i'll never forget because you're on that middle dice and all that work has finally paid off and my family and um my girlfriend was up at the time and now my wife is was up in the stands so you know to have everyone that mattered most be there to sort of see that first moment it's you know fantastic but you know, you've still got a few swims to go. And so, you know, you, you enjoy it. And the minute you step off that dais and, you know, the metal comes off, you turn it off again and, you know, you're in you're in ready mode and preparation mode. And then you just make sure you turn it on again next time you come out. So that was something that worked really well in Rio because I sort of had very spaced out swims. I had my main event on day two. I had one of my other events on day five. And then my last event was like day nine. So it was very spaced out. And I was able to turn it on each time, swim a good time and, you know, come away with the medal. So I was pretty happy with that. It's just that you kind of learn to sort of balance that emotion. And this year I learned that as much as you think your control in control of your emotions and your thoughts, um, sometimes it's not always the case and you think your mind is strong, but it, end of the day there's crack there could be cracks and things slip through and not everything's going to go your way at the end and you could be as physically ready as possible um and if something just doesn't go your way sometimes it's really hard to recover mentally and i think i found that out this year um like i had my main event on day one this this time around in tokyo and i was like okay well we got to apply everything that i've learned over the last 12 years and I thought I was able to apply it and unfortunately it just didn't go the way that I wanted it to go. And I think cause it affected me that much. Um, I thought I was over it and through it and I learned on it. Um, unfortunately it just sort of, I think it just kept stewing in my subconscious even more as the, the meat went on and it sort of came to the point where it was kind of too much for me. And yeah, I think it's just trying to back up and be better and do better and, you know, 
reset for each swim unfortunately just didn't work for me this time which was a bit disheartening and yeah you know you come away from a meet that you're not really entirely happy with and fortunately that's just the way the world works sometimes um like I said post interview for Tokyo this year shit happens um unfortunately it just happened at the wrong time for me and yeah it was just a bit unfortunate and but it's you know it was I'm always learning as I go along so I was still very grateful for the experience and it's you know my fourth game so it's an achievement in itself so you try and make sure when you look back and you have that reset you take the positives from it and try to focus on them more than the negatives yeah and it can be really hard thing to do as well but what was that sort of thought process like obviously it wasn't necessarily the meet or the competition or the games that you wanted what sort of the thought process after that first race what sort of goes through your mind and then as you said that you managed really well in Rio was being able to turn on turn off when you needed to how did you sort of do that in Tokyo what did that look like yeah so um obviously um in Rio was my main swim was day two so and it was my main event and we wanted to make sure I was far and ready to go I think I was just so caught up in excitement and ready to get out there and you know sort of kill it I was a lot young a bit younger back then so my body could kind of take a thrashing here and there um, and that's what I kind of just did just went out and killed it whereas this time I was like okay I'm, I'm not as young as the rest of the field anymore I have to be a bit smarter about this so we tried a different approach and tried to swim it a bit smarter unfortunately I think I just left it a bit late to do anything about it and um but that's just the way the dice is going to roll sometimes and I was like okay I took a look at it I came out uh I took the positive from it the fact that I you know swam the fastest time I'd swum in four and a half years so I think that's a massive positive in itself you know that I hadn't been down there around that time for a while so gave me an indication and an idea that whatever I had been doing over the last couple of years has worked the way that we wanted it to work. Unfortunately, it just didn't all come together perfectly. So I was like, okay, I'm fit. My body's working. So I was like, I'll take that positive and put that into my next swim because I know all my other swims are going to be shorter. So I won't have to worry about focusing on, you know, counting laps or anything like that. It's just up back. That's all you have to worry about and, you know, make sure your technique's perfect and, you just sort of go through those uh, processes and mental imagery in your mind of how you want your race to proceed. And, you know, sometimes as, as much as you do it, it just um, on the day, it, it's, yeah, for me, it just didn't click this time around. So I don't know, it's uh, something I'll have to work with when I get back to chatting with my coach after my break and, um, you know, massive support network that I've got around me and like sports scientists and biomechanics psychologists and they'll all help me get to the right answer and I think I'll be able to fix it all up but yeah you have all the you have all your little processes so you come back to your room you shut off you you have a rest you know you watch a couple of episodes of your favorite tv show or a tv show or a movie rest a little bit you know recover refuel plenty of fuel in the tank um it's just all those like little processes you sort of go through and that way you get back and you're like, okay, I'm feeling good. And you feel on and you feel on until after you swim it and then it's not the way you wanted to swim it. And then 
uh, after my last swim, uh, I was like to my coach, I'm, I'm effing off it. I'm, I want out, like send me home. I was like disappointed in myself. I was like, I'm an effing failure. I need to get out of here. I don't belong on this team. And took a few people to chatting to me to sort of, um, yeah, talk me down a little bit, but, uh, yeah, just because I was that disappointed in myself, I felt like I didn't belong there. So it was a little bit hard to come back from that because, um, you know, you spend the, I spent the last two years doing throwing everything that I can at it to make sure that I'm absolute fighting fit shape and to perform at my absolute best. And on paper, I was set to have an absolute blinder of a meet. Fortunately, it just didn't work out that way. So when that didn't work out, I didn't take that well. And um, yeah, so I had to have a few talks to a few people here and there to well, it's not necessarily calm me down, but to sort of remind me of my worth and my actual self-achievement it's more important sometimes than you know a metal around your neck and I'm still sort of coming to terms with it a bit but I've also at the same time I've processed it I've learned from it yeah I've moved on um and I'm kind of ready for whatever comes next yeah and it's disheartening when the expectations you went in with aren't met and it sucks and we're always our wor- own worst critic when it comes to that sort of thing so it's really easy to be negative and be really hard on ourselves and as you said having a really good support network around you can be vital in those situations what was that two week obviously you would have quarantined getting back and sort of now being back for a little while how do you feel about it now? You've sort of said that you've reflected on it differently and you've processed that. Do you feel differently about it now? Have you been able to take away those positives now compared to then? And can you sort of see a light at the end? Yeah, I think I think quarantine kind of did me well in a way, um, purely because it gave me the time to not have to interact with anyone, answer anyone's questions, because no doubt about it, in my mind, I was a failure. Um, I feel like I let not only myself down, but a lot of people around me down. And I don't think I had the, the mental strength to answer to those people and, you know, let them know that, Hey, I'm sorry, I failed you. It's, um, yeah, it was pretty tough. Like when I was still over in the village um, in the last few days in the village and, and to the last few days we had access to the pool, uh, I'd go in and I would purely just go in and have a swim because um, it was the only place where I could have to myself. Everything was quiet and I could just escape and not be alone with my thoughts because um, there was sometimes when I caught the bus to the pool in the village or you know, we all had our own um, plans and people were still racing. So I had to make sure I'd had my swim done and up in the stands supporting the rest of the team like we all do and I love being able to do. But there's those slight quiet moments you have on your own and you your mind just has way, way too many what ifs. And I couldn't move on and process it while I was still there. Um, I was really struggling with that just because of yeah I had those really high expectations of myself and well what I was what I was expecting to come away with and it didn't happen and because I said I was like like I said I felt like I didn't belong there anymore and um, so that was tough and I was only fine when I was in the water on my own just 
doing what I love or if I was with my teammates and cheering everyone on or with my teammates in my room and or eating and stuff like that where I was constantly occupied so coming back into quarantine it kind of like let me slip into my normal routine and you know getting back into some work and some uni work and keeping myself occupied and then you know I was sort of able to go processed all the what ifs and on at the end of the day I was like well it's done you can't change the past it's impossible to change the past no one can do it the only thing is is I look back I'm like okay so there's all those little things there okay that's what we'll take we'll put that in in place for next time and we'll worry about that when I'm back in the water so you know there's a lot more important things in life than just swimming you know um, got my wife back home and all that sort of stuff so that I realized that that's not really at this point in time important. You know, I've got a, a uni assignment due in two days time. I should probably get my head on that. Um, and I was, I was grateful for that because I was like, great. It took my mind off everything. I was like, okay, back into my uni mindset. It kept me busy. And I really kind of weirdly enjoyed quarantine, you know, get up, do everything I wanted to do myself. I could lay back, have a rest, watch some movies, like no stress, no pressure, no no communication with anybody for a while it's like weirdly kind of enjoying it um but then you kind of like oh you get to about day 11 and you're like oh i could could use some human interaction now it'd be really good um so yeah like now that everything's kind of moved on and and processed um yeah it does i'm kind of like over it and i'm kind of keen to get on to the next thing now so it's not really that, but it, it was weird still being in the village for me, especially even when it came packing. Cause I, I got, I've got to the point, you know, packing to come home. I'm always, you know, considering oh, okay, so where do I put my medals and do I take them carry on or put them in my suitcase, that sort of stuff. So then when we, were, when we were packing, leaving the village, that hit me a little bit because I didn't have to worry about putting medals in anywhere. And I was like, ah, oh, crap, that, that hit me a little bit because it just felt weird not packing um, medals to come home. Uh, so that was a little self, you know, self punch in the gut again, uh, you know, try and sleep, trying to sleep on the flight on the way home. That, that comes back to like, you know, that you become more worried about, about anything and yeah, you just find these little things and you know, all of a sudden realize that there's a much bigger picture out there in life than just having to worry about swimming. Yeah, I can't imagine what it's like to try and process all of that. And it's very easy for us to get caught up in basing our value and our worth on what we have or haven't achieved. How do you identify yourself outside of swimming? How do you separate the two? What are the things that make you you without Um, being a swimmer? Good question. So for me, like I'm currently a physiotherapy student, so... I know that there's a lot of things in place for me after swimming and I've got a pretty clear idea of what I want want to be doing after swimming. So I'm not really like, I don't want to be known as, you know, only as Brendan Hall, the swimmer. Like that's like not a label you want to get stuck with because if it's the only label you become comfortable with, then I think that's where you do become really lost. So, you know, I've got a, a baby, a little fella coming in December um, with my wife being pregnant. So, you know, I'll be a dad at some point. Uh, there's all these little things that 
So I'm more, I'm like, hopefully I just, I can be seen as like, oh, this guy's versatile. He's, you know, he can do whatever he puts his mind to and he can take it on no matter what. So I think that's what I kind of, you know, I, if anyone throws a challenge at me, I'm going to try and take it on. And that's kind of what I, I want to know, be known as is like, all right, this guy will give anything a crack, whether it's, you know, told whether he's been told he can't do it or whether he can do it, he's always going to give it a crack. And that's kind of who I see myself as a person, not really as Brennan Hall this summer. Um, so yeah, there's, I've got to the point in my life where I like, I love swimming. That's what I want to do. I still want to win um, at all costs, but it's also not, I've also realized that it's not the only thing that defines me in life. There are a lot of other things out there and even, you know, I, like school talks are probably one of my favorite things to be able to do um, and inspiring that younger generation because, you know, just some of the questions that come to mind from little kids or even kids in school in general, it's just, I love being able to share that experience and my story. And I also understand that not all kids love school. You know, there was a period where I didn't love school, but then I think there was a point where, you know, I was told that, you know, swimming is not going to be your life. You're not going to make an income off this. You've got to prepare for life after swimming like now. And that I had, you know, I had that talk when I first made the team at 14 and, you know, obviously you're in, um, I was in grade nine. So <laughs> it's not really like, Oh, okay. Well, I don't even know what job I want to do yet. Um, let alone what my career after swimming is going to look like. So I was really grateful for the fact that I was learnt and taught about all this stuff really early on because, yeah, otherwise I'd be, you know, like a deer in headlights being what on earth am I going to do with myself? But, yeah, I've always been pretty level-headed with that sort of stuff and I think that's what sort of gets me through things the most. Yeah, well, firstly, congratulations on becoming a father. That is super exciting. Um, (laughs) Thank you. I think... I don't think any year nine would be able to wrap their head around the fact that swimming is not going to be your life. You need to figure out something else. Like, well, hold hold on a second. I just made my first Olympics. Let's take a yes. step back. <laughs> yeah. It's um, when someone just like you're in that team meeting, he's like, okay, so I've got some bad news for you and it's good news for you. You've made the Australian swim team, um, you know, well done. Bad news. Swimming is not going to be your life. You're not going to make some money off it. Um, prepare for life after swimming now and i'm just like i'm still in school mate like i don't care about life after swimming like just let me get it through school so yeah it's 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 really weird yeah i can imagine it would be you've i can tell by the way you talk that your love for swimming is still very much there still very strong what are your upcoming goals what does swimming look like for you in the next few years short term long term so short term for me, um, for swimming wise, I'm just going to think I'm going to have a crack and uh, like one of my other, like I love doing, I love doing open water swimming. I love surf swimming. Um, love doing that. So I think I'm just going to try and fill up my calendar with a bunch of ocean swims for the next few months. <laughs> um, once I get back in the water, just to sort of, you know, prove to myself that I still love it because I, that's something I love being able to do. And from there, we'll get back into some comps, I think, because I want to make sure I want to try and get one more Commonwealth Games under my belt before we uh, decide to finish up and 
So they like con with con games being next year um, in Birmingham. Hopefully I can try and have one more crack at that and do some, do some good. And um, if I'm ready for that, well, then I'll be ready for world champs next year. I'm not really sure where they are off the top of my head. I do know they're over in probably Europe somewhere. So it'll be like another hard slog of probably seven weeks being away. Um, so that's short term, long term. You know, before going into Tokyo, I was always like, well, I think Paris is a good one to finish on. It'll be my fifth games. Um, so I was like, well, I've never been to Paris before. So I think that'd be a cracking one to finish on, especially if we're, you know, we're back to sort of having a bit of travel afterwards. I'd love to be able to go through, see a bit more of Europe and just some of its swimming pools. Um, something that's kind of always intrigued me, um, being able to travel around Europe and hopefully I can finish on Paris the way I want to finish and go out of the sport happy and yeah then I'll be ready to move on to the next phase of my life I, but I think I just would like going to Paris for me it would be like fantastic because I'll be able to introduce you know the Paralympic swimming world or and the Paralympic world to you know my kid or kids see how we're going and I think that's what will be the most exciting part about that and it's something that I'm will really look forward to and that's and then I know after Paris will be the time to to finish up yeah I can imagine like that's a still like even now looking back you still had an amazing career and you know the love is still there so I don't see a reason why not to continue if the love is there keep going for as long as it's there and then as it sort of starts to dwindle down then that's maybe time to say you know maybe it's time to hang up the goggles yeah, I think that that's going to be the hardest part for me because I feel like I'm always going to love swimming. Um, I think it's what it's going to come down to is how much am I going to love the competitive side of it? And at the moment, I've still got the fire to win. I want to win something. And I've got that drive. I, I love training every day. Um, I love getting bruised. I love getting battered. I love feeling beaten up. And a lot of people find that's very a very weird thing to love but yeah I think it's more the fact that it's because it's the challenge that's why I love it the most and just seeing how much your body can withhold and how much your mindset is going to hold on to before it decides to give up and give in is what I I think love the most about it and at the moment I'm not ready to give up or give in so yeah we're gonna keep having a crack while we can yeah, it's weirdly addictive, that pain. But I think it's the high that you get when you know that you've done it. Yeah, definitely. Uh, like once you once you stand on the metal dais, regardless of where it is, you know it's it is a very good like rush and a high. It's something that like that's the where you end up chasing for another four years and just after having not hit that high, you 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 hit the lowest of lows. And that's where you come out of and you're like, no, no, I'm going to, I've still got room. I can have another crack and I'm definitely going to do that because I want to be able to feel that again at some point. Yeah. That's so awesome to hear. I like to do three questions to finish with. Oh, here we go. One, the first one is what is something that you're most proud of about yourself? Oh, oh wow. Wow. What I'm most proud of about myself Oh God, what a killer. Um, I think for me, it's definitely the fact that the I've been able to 
you know, inspire and engage a lot of young ones to get into the Paralympic movement and being aware of the Paralympic movement. And, you know, I've have a lot of mates who have older siblings who have quite a lot of kids now. And I've got a bulk amount of photos while I was away of all of my mates, like older siblings, taking pictures of like all of their kids in front of the TV, watching different parts of the Paralympics. And they're like, this is because of you. And like, I get goosebumps thinking about it now. So I think just more the fact that I've opened up a world of complete, you know, this whole other world for other people to be a part of. And I think that's what I'm actually most proud of. Yeah, being able to leave that legacy behind and that will stay around for a while. Yeah, I, I, at the moment, I, I could say I'm, I'm most proud of, uh, you know, being able to bring life into this world, but I'm not there yet. So, you know, if you came and asked me in another four <laughs> months, that'd probably be my answer, but I'm not there. Yeah. And um, the next question I have, <clears throat> excuse me, and the next question I have is, what is your favourite quote and or the best piece of advice that you've been given? Oh, favourite quote. So my favourite quote is um, the one that really resonated with me the most is the only disability in life is a bad attitude. Uh, I I don't know whose it is or where it came from, but I heard it in 2008. And obviously that's when I first made the team. So I was like, that's going to stick with me. That's what's going to, you know, get kids off their ass in school and get involved in sport, exercise, whatever it is and get moving because I at that point in time I had heard so many excuses from kids even in high school like you know trying to get out of HPE class trying to get out of school sports and it was driving me up the wall because they were all physically able and they were just trying everything in their power to get out of it meanwhile there's people everywhere who would kill to be able to you know have four perfectly working limbs and a perfectly working body to you know, run around and you know play some touch footy and they can't do it so that was one of the sayings that stuck with me the most and it all came down to well all you guys have got bad attitude that's that's your disability because you just don't want to do things um the best piece of advice i've had would probably be when i was a youngster and you probably touched on it earlier was the fact that like if you love something and are having fun, what better reason do you need to, you know, pursue it, continue doing it or just do it because purely because you love it. And that was swimming, obviously. Yeah, absolutely. I've never heard that quote before. That's a good one. It's a bit, a few people have heard it and a few people haven't heard it. And most of the people who haven't heard it are like, oh, that's a good one. And I'm like, ah, that was my reaction to it when I first heard it too. I was like, this is what disability is in my in my eyes because it's not what like you can't do it's more about what what you can do yeah and I mean if your love for swimming is still there the open water swims there's basically no age limit on those like you can keep going like there are so many older people in them yeah that'll be me I'll be that weekend warrior at the age of 75 still doing the ocean swim somewhere up at Noosa (laughs) <laughs> and I'll be waiting three hours for me to get in. I can guarantee you that now. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. The last thing I have, is there any tips or advice or anything for those that are listening? Oh, any tips or advice? No, not really. I'm not, I, I've probably already covered it all. Like my advice is like, 
find something you love, find something you enjoy doing, find something that, you know, is fun. And the, the more fun it is, the end of the day, you actually forget you're doing it. And it just, you just end up doing it and like, oh, wow, like two hours has passed. Like what, what just happened? Um, you know, there will be hurdles at some point in life and everyone's going to have to jump over them in order, but like to do whatever they want to do. But at the end of the day, what is life without a little bit of challenge? That's kind of my way of looking at it. Like if there's no challenge, are we, are we really living life at all? Yeah, I think that is a really important thing, Trimba. Thank you so much for joining me today and chatting. You've shared a lot of insight into your sporting career and everything you sort of learn along the way and those challenges, setbacks, positives and everything in between. So thank you so much. No worries. Thank you for having me. Uh, It's been really fun. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Perfectly Flawed podcast. If you would like to stay up to date for when the next episode is being released, you can follow myself on Instagram at Renee Fox, or you can follow the podcast at perfectly underscore flawed underscore podcast. I'll chat to you next time. Bye.